Let's turn in our Bible tonight. Thank you, Mrs. Strong, for playing. Let's turn in our Bible tonight to, to Micah chapter 7. Micah chapter 7. And the best way to find Micah is to go to the New Testament and work your way back. So if you get the New Testament, work back through Malachi, and then you've got Zechariah, and then you have Zephaniah, and you have Haggai as well. You come to Habakkuk and Nahum. And once you come to Nahum, you're near Micah chapter 7. Micah chapter 7. I'm going to take the time tonight to read these 20 verses of Micah chapter 7. So follow with me in your Bible. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. Woe is me, for I am as when they had gathered the summer fruits, as the grape gleanings of the vintage. There is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruit. The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net, that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asketh, and the judge asketh for a reward, and the great man he uttereth his mischievous desire, so they wrap it up. The best of them is as a briar, the most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of thy watchman and thy visitation cometh, now shall be their perplexity. Trust ye not in a friend, put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son doth honoureth the father. The daughter riseth up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord, because I have sinned against him, until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold his righteousnesses. Then, she that is mine enemy shall see it, and shame shall cover her which said unto me, Where is the Lord thy God? Mine eyes shall behold her. Now shall she be trodden down as the mire of the streets. In the day that thy walls are to be built, in that day shall the decree be far removed. In that day also he shall come even to thee from Assyria, and from the fortified cities, and from the fortress even to the river, and from the sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. Notwithstanding the land shall be desolate, because of them that dwell therein, for the fruit of their doings. Feed thy people with thy rod, the flock of thine heritage, which dwell solitary in the wood, 
in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead, as in the days of old, according to the days of thy coming out of the land of Egypt, will I show unto him marvellous things. The nation shall see and be confounded at all their might. They shall lay their hand upon their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall move out of their holes like worms of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of thee. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and will... And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform thy truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from days of old. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from Micah chapter 7 verses 18 and 19. It reads as follows, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Now my theme tonight in this text of scripture is the God who forgives and the forgiveness of God. Now I believe tonight that this is a tremendous text of Holy Scripture. One, if I can use the words of the late Colin Peckham, uh, one of the principles of the faith mission in years gone past, it's a text that is pregnant or full of meaning. This text is full of scriptural teaching about God, about our own sinful state before God, and about God who delights in mercy and that pardons iniquity. And this text of scripture is one of those texts that's so full of spiritual teaching and meaning that it's almost impossible to encapsulate it in one sermon. But if I can leave with you the overriding theme of this text is the God who pardons iniquity and the pardon that God delights in. Now there's four things in this text of scripture that came to me last week. The first one is this. The person who is incomparable. Notice the question who is a God like unto thee? Now this is a rhetorical question. There's no answer to it. We could ask tonight what makes God so great, God so majestic, God so magnificent. And the answer is this. God, the God of the Bible, is the incomparable. Comparable God. 
This is a, an interesting question. Who is a God like unto thee? Did you know that the name Micah means who is Jehovah like? Or who is a God like unto Jehovah? So there's a sort of a pun being played out here as far as this question is concerned. And on the surface we're forced to ask, what is God like? You see, this text is much to say about God. And we think of the shorter catechism, what is God? And we answer it, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And as I've said, this is a rhetorical question. There, there's, there's no one to answer. But we could answer tonight and answer from the scriptures and our answer would be simply this, that the God of the Bible, the person who is mentioned here, is someone who cannot be compared with anyone else. The God of the Bible is the living and the true God, and there's none like him. And we have to say, like the prophet, that there's no other God but him. The word for God here in verse 18 is Jehovah. And that's his particular name. That's his personal name. And I want you to understand tonight that when Micah asked this question, who is a God like unto thee? He already had the answer in his mind that there's no other God but our God. Our God is Jehovah and all other Gods are false gods. And the, the thousands of so-called gods in the world are nothing more than dumb idols, the invention of man's imagination. Jehovah, he alone is God. Now I stress that for this reason. I believe tonight that in the Christian church, we have lost sight really of who and what God is. If you think of Proverbs 29 and 18, it says, where there's no vision, the people perish. And of course, often we have used that to call upon people to have a vision and a passion and a compassion for lost, perishing souls. And of course, that's fine. But that's not the real meaning of Proverbs 29 and 18. When the Bible says where there is no vision, the word for vision means revelation. And the vision is not a vision of lost perishing souls, although that's part of it. The vision really is a vision of God. And where there's no revelation of God, where there's no unveiling of God, the people live in a state of perishing. The vision referred to is a vision of God, the God of the Bible. And glory to God, he has revealed himself not only in the book of creation, but also and especially in the book of Revelation. And I want to tell you tonight to say that there's no other God but Jehovah and he is God alone and he is the living and the true God, that's not popular. 
And it'll not be popular in this multicultural society. And it's not popular in, in, in a multicultural faith society. Because it's branded about today that all religions lead to God. And I want to say tonight categorically that all religions, the religions of the world, do not lead us to a revelation of the one true and living God. And sadly in our day, we have lost the vision of the God of the Bible. There's little or real understanding or grasp of who the living and the true God is. And along with losing the revelation of God, we have lost the fear of God. Doesn't the Bible say, be thou in the fear of him all the days of thy life. And this is true for the church. There's so much man-centeredness today in the life and witness of the church. We've lost our God-centeredness. We've lost our God-consciousness. This is true for the country. Many have lost grasp of who and what God is. And therefore men have cast off restraint. Men have thrown caution to the wind. Think of Psalm 14 and 1. The fool have said in his heart, there is no God. And how many are atheistic today who deny God's existence. And not only that, but they live in a state of rebellion to the Lord. It's like Pharaoh, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And then believe that they, they're not dependent on God. And therefore they're not accountable to God. And they can sin with impunity and, and get away with it. Let, let me explain. You think of the Sabbath day. It's no longer kept as a day of rest unto God. And oftentimes in Northern Ireland, we used to talk about the continental Sabbath. I want to tell you, and Mr. Anderson and Mrs. Anderson will bear testimony to this when we were in Germany. Many of the Germans have, have more thought about the Sabbath day and its sanctity than we have here in Northern Ireland. Think, for example, as well of the BBC with their mandatory policy of supporting sodomite lifestyle on television. You think of the thought today that Christianity is only one of the world's religions, that there's other religions, and they're equally as important, and then they're on a par with Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. You think tonight of the sodomite parade in Belfast, Thousands marching in support of a sodomite lifestyle, carrying sometimes placards that call our Lord Jesus a sodomite. You think of the call today for the softening of the stance of Northern Ireland's Abortion Act, trying to introduce abortion by the back door. You think of the call for equal marriage for same-sex relationship. Whereas the Bible teaches that marriage is between one man and one woman. And of course we have to say about same-sex relationship that it's not love. It's lust according to Romans chapter 1. And we have to point that out. And therefore in light of this, all that's happening and much more, we need to renew our vision of who and what God is. Let me just tell you very quickly. The God of the Bible is the living and the true God. 
His personal name is here. Who is a God or who is Jehovah. He's revealing himself to us. The God of the Bible is the everlasting God. He called himself when he revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. In Exodus 3.14, I am that I am. And over there in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28, we read, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding. God doesn't change, doesn't he say in Malachi 3 and 6, I am the Lord, I change not. See, God is answerable to no one but himself. We believe tonight in the unchangeability of our God. On top of that, he's creator and maker. Genesis 1 and 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And let's remember tonight, all men are mere creatures of God, made in his image, and therefore dependent on God. For in him we move and live and have being. We exist because God exists. We live for his good pleasure. Even if we're objects not of his grace. But objects of his wrath. Fifthly God is absolutely sovereign. The Bible says the Lord God omnipoteth reigneth. Of course God is our lawgiver. And all that God says is true and right and just and good. God is intrinsically holy. Think of Isaiah chapter 6 and the seraphims and cherubims crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which was, which is, which is to come. Think tonight of the fact that he's a trinity in unity, three in one and one in three. God the Son, God the Father and God the Spirit, all involved in the redemptive work of our salvation. Think of the fact that God alone is the only redeemer of sinners, the one who's full of grace and love and mercy. God's a God worthy to be praised. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. See, we could ask the question tonight, dost thou fear God? And a right understanding of who God is, and a right revelation of the God of the Bible Brings us to the place where we'll cry out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And oh, that we had a grasp again of his majesty and his might and his mercy. And oh, that that would sink in. And oh, that we would fall at his feet. Because you know, the most important thing in the world is you being in a right relationship with this God. Nothing else matters. And I want to ask tonight, are you in a right relationship with the God of heaven? The person that's incomparable. Notice, secondly and quickly, the portrait that's indefensible. Did you notice in the reading the three words that are used to describe our state before God? Now, there are many terms in the Bible used to describe the problem of human sinfulness. But here's three. Verse 18, who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? There's the first word. Second, and passeth by the transgression. 
of the remnant of his heritage. The word transgression is the second word. And if you can write down then to verse 19, it says, And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. Three words in the space of two verses used to describe the true state of man before God. And there's the portrait that's indefensible. Iniquity, it speaks of the perverseness of the human heart. It reminds us of our moral and spiritual corruption. It reminds us of our perversity and our obstinacy in the sight of God. Didn't Jeremiah 17 and 9 say the heart is deceitful and above all things, who can know it? You see, we're all born with a bias against God and a bias towards sin. You don't have to teach a child to sin or to do wrong. It comes naturally to the child. And of course there is within us a bias that turns away from all that is God and all that is godly unto that which is wrong and evil. And that's covered under this umbrella term of iniquity. It speaks of the perverseness of our heart, our our love and longing for sin, our hearts a fountain of iniquity. Notice the second word here, transgression. The word transgression means breaking the boundary of a known law. And of course, this has to do with revolting against God. Remember the catechism, question 14, what is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And the Bible describes sin as a transgression of the law. Do you know tonight that unbelief is a sin? You're sitting here in unbelief and you don't believe you're a sinner and don't believe you have a soul and don't believe you need a saviour and don't believe maybe there's a God or, or believe the Bible to be the infallible inerrant word of God. That unbelief in the sight of Almighty God is sin. And it's a par with other sins. Knowing to do good and not doing it is a sin. Knowing that you need to be saved and not wanting to repent and get right with God. The Bible says all unrighteousness is sin. Not doing what is right, that is sin. The Bible tells us that to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him that is sin. It's covered under this term transgression. Notice the third word there, sins. The the word sin refers to a missing the mark. Think of Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the image is there of an archer with a bow and an arrow, and there's a target in front of him. We'll say it's the bull's eye, and he fires his arrow But the arrow's nowhere near the bullseye. In fact, the arrow's not even on the target. The the arrow has fallen wide and fallen far short. And that's the image there. It's not that we're almost nearly perfect. The reality is we're far from it. And I want to tell you tonight that sin has consequences. Do you know that sin pays wages? Doesn't the Bible say the wages of sin is death? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Ezekiel chapter 18 and 4 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The apostle James says in James chapter 1 verse 15, Then when lust hath conceived it, bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. And also in the book of Galatians, a tremendous statement was made there in Galatians chapter 6. We're told there in the verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now here's a universal law. Here's a unique law. Sin pays wages. And if you live a life of iniquity, a life of transgression, a life of sins and sins, then you will discover that sin has consequences. The children of Israel discovered this to be true. And you only have to read what was happening there in Micah's day in chapter 7, verses 1 to 7. And we read there, the good man is perished out of the earth. There's none upright among men, for they all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man, his brother with a net. You see, sin took the children of Israel far from God. It cost them more than they wanted to pay. Sin made a fool out of them. And it's equally true. That sin and iniquity and transgressions can all be pardoned. And of course what you have to do is recognize and admit and confess and acknowledge sin is sin. You see, the problem today is the word sin has fallen out of fashion. Let me tell you a story of a Methodist preacher. Years ago, he was often fond of preaching to preach against sin, telling the congregation about repentance of this sin and repentance of that sin. One of his parishioners got very upset and they come to him and asked him to stop using the word sin. You're upsetting us, pastor. You're upsetting the members of the congregation. People are confused. Young people are, well, they're as mad as a hatter. You've got to stop preaching against sin. Now, the old man was a keen gardener as well as a preacher and he took the parishioner out to the garden shed and he looked about, having got his glasses on, and he took down a bottle. And he says, now, let me see. Yes, yes, well, we'll pick this one. This is what you want me to do. You want me to change this label. You see, he picked a bottle and it had the label on it, poison. And he says, you want me to take the label off and you want me to put another label in its place. We'll, we'll take off the label poison and we'll put on peppermint. And of course the parishioner was stunned into silence. You see, sin needs to be understood today. Before you can be saved, there's got to be the recognition, the admission, the confession, the acknowledgement of the exceeding sinfulness of your sin. We sinned in Adam. We inherited the guilt of his first transgression. We inherited additional guilt with every violation of the law of God in the fullness of its application. We inherited a perverse heart that loves sin. And if you're tonight out of Christ and still in your sin, well, well, I want to be honest with you. This is a portrait of you. This is how God sees you. 
And God wants to come and talk to you about your sin. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And you think tonight in Northern Ireland of educated fools, some of them down there in Queen's University, very smart men, men whose um, far as education was concerned, I wouldn't be able to touch. But when it comes to about their state and condition before God, they deny the truth about themselves. You're talking about perverseness of heart, preacher. You're talking about breaking the law of God. You're talking about falling short and missing a mark. I haven't a clue what you're talking about. Think about religious fools in the pulpit. People sitting in the few. And the Bible says fools mock at sin. You see, it's not my opinion that counts. It's not even this church's opinion that counts. It's not our presbytery's opinion that counts. It's, it's God's opinion. And here's God's infallible word. And how does it describe our human state before God? It describes him in these terms. Iniquity, transgression and sin. And you can't defend yourself. Because the portrait, it's indefensible. You can't say I'm good. You can't say I've never done anything bad. You can't say I'm not a sinner. Because in the light of God's word, you've got a perverse heart. You were born that way. You've broken God's law. Even anger in the heart. Lust in the heart. Covetousness in the heart. Unbelief. We've fallen short of a standard of absolute perfection. Notice second or thirdly, and more importantly, the pardon that's incontrovertible. Notice the words that pardoneth iniquity. But what does that mean? The word pardoneth means to lift up and carry away. And that's what God does with our iniquity. Sin must be carried away. The Bible says there in Psalm chapter 32 and the verse um, 1, uh, Blessed is the man, let me quote it properly, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. The word forgiven there in verse 1 is the same word that means to lift up and carry away, just like the rubbish. And of course, isn't it the work of the perfect substitute who lifted our sins upon himself and carried them away? He dealt with our perverseness of heart. Isaiah 53 verses 5 and 6 tells us, But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid in him the iniquity of us all. And over there in Peter, we read these tremendous words in First Peter um, chapter 2, uh, speaking of the Lord Jesus and his work on the cross. And we read there in chapter 2 in the verse 24, who his own self bear our sins and his own body in the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes are ye healed. 
Isaiah the prophet said he shall bear their iniquities. And you see, the gospel calls us, therefore, to behold the Lamb of God. The word behold means to look and see, but it's not just that, and that's good. It's more than that. The word means to look and to gaze, to understand, pay particular attention. He hears God in an unexpected way, has provided a perfect substitute to lift up and carry our iniquities away upon himself. Notice also here, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant. What does that mean? That that's a removal from one place to another. You see, there's a mighty movement taking place as regards our sin. God is at work. We're in the place of death, the place of the curse, a place without spiritual life. We have our backs to God, our face to hell. And now God passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. And God brings us into a place whereby the curse has been lifted. And he brings us from a state of guilt into a state of grace. He, he, he gives us spiritual life. He, he puts peace into our soul. He, he brings us into a new place with himself. This is what God does. Notice also, he retaineth not his anger forever. That means there's a restraint of his wrath. So we're getting a picture here. Our sins are lifted up and carried away. That there's a removal of them altogether. That there's a restraint of God's wrath. And of course, this is all predicated upon repentance. The children of Israel got to the place of repentance. They were assured of a divine deliverance in Micah chapter 7. And in the uh, verse 7, the uh, prophet uh, Micah was able to say um, in his day a, a, a tremendous truth. He said there, um, Therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. That wasn't wishful thinking. See, repentance too, like sin, has consequences. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And when a sinner repents, God will not hold on to his wrath, even though it's real, even though it's regal, even though it's righteous. He, he, he will not restore that wrath upon ourselves. God's a pardoning God. And there's great assurance here. There's hope here. Let me ask the question, are, are we penitent tonight? I think also of this statement, he delighteth in mercy. Here's the reason why he's a pardoning God. God delights in pardoning sinners. The Bible asks the question, who can forgive sins? And the answer is God only. You think of the Roman Catholic priest who says to the penitent, I forgive you, I absolve you. He has no authority to do that. Because only God and God himself can forgive the sinner upon repentance on the ground of the shed blood of Christ. Sinners can go directly to God. They can cry out to him. There's forgiveness with him that he may be feared. Don't trust the priest. Don't trust in the pastor. Trust in Christ and Christ alone. Maybe you're saying tonight, but I'm too bad. Maybe you're saying, I'm too far gone. Maybe you're saying tonight, well, the gospel isn't for me. It's a lie of the devil. I know that sin can be deep. And I know that many can be fallen into deep sin. But grace is deeper than all our sin. There's a mediator between man and God. 
the man, Christ Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Notice lastly and quickly the place that's illustrative. If you come down to verse 19, it says, He will turn again. Isn't that tremendous? He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And notice, and thou will cast all their sin into the depths of the sea. You know what he does when he subdues our iniquities? He gives us a new heart. He takes away from us the love of sinning. When we're saved, he removes the sin's penalty. He, he, he removes sin's power. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. He takes the love of sinning out of our hearts. He gives us a new heart with a new love, a love for God. And one day he'll save us from sin's very presence. And on top of that, and turning to us, and having compassion, and subduing our iniquities, notice what he does with our sins. He casts all our sins in the depths of the sea. Can't be held against us ever again. He puts up a sign, I believe. No fishing. He doesn't allow the devil to fish. He doesn't allow us to fish. What about my past? What about my sinful thoughts and sinful deeds? They're gone. Let me tell you a little story as we finish tonight. A young girl from County Antrim came from a Roman Catholic background in the outskirts of Belfast. And she wasn't well. She was in the throes of depression, very sickly looking. And she was sent away to the Causeway Coast to try and rest and recuperate and get better. She had physical problems. She had mental problems. But she knew well as that she had spiritual problems. In some guest house in County Antrim, she was encouraged to read the Bible. And I want you to think of her sitting at the Causeway Coast. I'm not sure of the exact spot. But she's sitting reading the Bible. And you know what she opens her Bible, where she opens at? Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. She's sitting looking at the sea. She's watching the waves rolling in. She's hearing the, 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 the uh, waves uh, 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 as not only seeing it, but the sound of it. And she gazes on the waves. She, she thinks of these words. And thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And that struck her in her mind. That, that awakened her heart. The light dawned. God's a pardoning God. I can go directly to him. I can ask God for forgiveness. And that's what she did. She went home to Belfast. Sadly, she didn't get better. Three or four months later, she died. But in her room, when they come to her desk to clear out her stuff, they found this verse, along with many other verses. We sang it tonight. Pardon from an offended God. Pardon for sins of deepest dye. Pardon bestowed through Jesus' blood. Pardon that brings the rebel nigh. Who is a pardoning God like thee? Or who has grace so rich and free? That young girl believed all her sins, which were many, were cast into the depths of the sea. The sea called forgetfulness. And God would never allow her to fish again and be disturbed about her sin because they were under the blood. Let me ask you tonight, have you got your eyes in this pardoning God? The person that's incomparable. I want you to think of the portrait that's indefensible. 
I want you to think of the pardon that's incomparable tonight. And ask yourself this question as we finish. Is your sins in that place that's illustrative? You can think about the depths of the sea. And my sins are gone, never to come back to hunt me again. Because it's pardon bestowed through Jesus' blood. Are you trusting in Christ tonight? Do you know the God who pardons? Do you know the pardon of God? May the Lord bless you this evening. Thank you for listening.